Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. All right, let me tell you all something about Anchor. If you ever want to start your own podcast or create your own podcast, Anchor makes it really easy. First of all, it's absolutely free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more popular platforms. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All gas, no brakes. And now we have liftoff. Welcome into the Now We Have Liftoff New York Judge podcast. And of course, I am your host, John June. And of course, as always, got my guy, Frank Jim Piccolo. Frank, what is going on, my guy? Yo, yo, yo. What is good? Nothing, man. We are here on this Saturday evening. We are days away from the NFL draft. Uh, obviously, this is an exciting time for the green and white. Uh, we are uh, picking number two as well as picking number 23. Picking 34 as well. Uh, have two picks in the third round. We, we are picking all basically all over this draft except for the seventh round where they don't have a draft pick. But, Frank, this is an exciting time. We have an exciting show uh, ahead of us tonight. We are covering mid round draft targets for the New York Jets. Uh, we're also um, going to cover a the a recent press conference that Robert Sala and Joe Douglas had. But before we get into any of that, Frank, uh, our, our most recent quarterback, Sam Darnold, he has since left, uh, was traded away from the New York Jets. And it sounds like you, you want to get something off your chest, Frank. So what's up, man? Yeah, I got to get something off my chest. I have a real problem with Sam right now. I really have a problem that he hasn't thanked or addressed the Jets faithful at all. Like, I get it. If you got a problem with the management of your former team and you're a little butthurt that they traded you after they said they were going to do everything they could to protect you. But, you know, you had a lot of Jet fans that are blue-collar workers spending a lot of money on jerseys, a lot of money to come see you play, and you didn't get anywhere close of the vitriol that normal Jet quarterbacks I got selected that high got, such as Mark Sanchez, Ken O'Brien, Browning Nagel. 
you kind of got a free pass because Adam Gates was so bad as a coach. Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of disagree with you here. I, I know uh, you you said Sam was kind of butthurt. I've I've been accusing you of being butthurt on the matter because at the end of the day, like you know, I just understand from a human being perspective uh, how Frank uh, how Frank you're Frank, but how Sam might feel. Um, you know, because the team drafted you. Uh, you know, they they obviously didn't do everything they could to put you in a position to succeed. Um, you know, you are your future is kind of kept in the ba- like left in the balance because you know you you're not you don't know if you're playing for the Jets or if you could be playing for somebody else, and so you could you know sigh you know breathe this huge sigh of relief when when you get traded, and uh, you know honestly he can. He can give us, you know, you know, fans have bought his jersey and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, like Sam Darnold doesn't owe us that, and you know, like why do why should we care so much for him to have a statement thanking fans? Like, like th- Sam Darnold has done a ton of stuff for fans, right? Like whether it was staying after practice to sign jerseys, so he showed that commitment and he showed that. Um, you know, that, that gratitude in, in other ways. Like, I don't think him signing, you know, you know, uh, addressing the fans through a, through a message saying thank you is, is really, you know, I, I, I personally don't care. I, I just think, like, what does it hurt to take a five-minute Instagram video thanking the fans? I just, I think it's a, shows a lack of character on his, po- on his part and a lack of self-awareness of, like, dude, you're playing a kid's game and making millions of dollars. I feel like that's the least you can do. Like, come on. So, let me ask you a question. Who has more self-awareness and, and more class? Sam Darnold or Jamal Adams? Sam Darnold. Okay. Jamal Adams wrote a thank you to the fans. Did it mean anything to you? At the time, it did. But action speak louder at the time it didn't mean i mean at the at the time at the time it kind of did but then after that when you're hearing all the when you when you when you know when uh you see the video of him oh thank you i'm so happy to be out of, out of new york i'm so happy to be going to seattle i'm so happy to be a seahawk smoking a cigar and all that stuff or uh when he's talking about but that, um, see that that stuff didn't really bother me too much it was it was more the stuff after the fact where he talked about how depressed he was being a New York Jet. Yeah, I don't know. There was there was stuff about him um, that I remember irked me right after he left. But anyway, I'm done talking about yeah, people yeah, that don't play for the close Jets anymore. The book on that, or close the chapter <laughs> in that book, and uh, hopefully we get it right with uh, the quarterback we're going to draft in the uh, this year's draft class. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But before we get to that, let's talk about this press conference that we had. So, Joe Douglas and Robert Sala spoke. Sala had some interesting things to say, as did Douglas. Uh, what were your biggest takeaways from the press conference, Frank? Uh, my biggest takeaways wasn't exactly what was said by Robert Sala. It was more of how I felt about Robert Sala and I called you right after the press conference and I said Robert Sala reminds me of a mixture of Herman Edwards and Eric Mangini in the fact that I feel like he knows the type of players that he wants like Mangini did where he wants those character type of guys the guys that just want to bowl out 
give 110% on every play, but I feel like he's that true motivator that Herman Edwards is and was. Like, you get those sound bites from Herm. Like, you play to win the game. Like, as a fan, you love to hear your coach speak like that, and it's also good to know that your coach also wants to have that culture type of guys in the locker room. I thought that was really important for our organization being that of what we had to deal with with McCagnan and Gaze and even Bowles to an extent. Yeah, I mean, Bowles, I think, you know, obviously was a leader of men, uh, but he he just wasn't that fiery type, didn't really show much emotion. But Salah's really, you know, the motivational type, like you said, similar to Herm Edwards. I've likened him to a quiet Rex Ryan, if that really does exist. Um, but you know, he, where he has, he has a connection. He's able to connect with players on a level that just some coaches aren't able to do that. Uh, you know, and he talked about, they want, they want players that, that love football. And if you love football, you'll do anything to protect football. And so, uh, you know, they, they feel like that they'll get good character players in there, uh, just because they'll get players that love football. And that's the culture that they're trying to instill, uh, within the Jets organization, and they talked about. He also talked about getting certain free agents on here. Uh, you know, not worrying about what the Buffaloes and the Dolphins and the, the New England Patriots are doing, but worried about what you know the Jets are doing within their own building uh, and building and and uh, you know building a foundation for future success. So, you know, I really did enjoy that. Um, but what about Joe Douglas? Any takeaways from his press conference, Frank? You know, Joe Douglas is Joe Douglas, man. Like, I find it funny that everybody in the world is touting Zach Wilson to us. And, you know, Joe Douglas makes smiles when the reporters ask him about it. But there have been no leaks with the free agents, with the with the coaching Nothing. search. So I'm not Nothing. I am not a hundred percent sure that the Jets are going with Zach Wilson. And quite honestly, I'm all for it. You know what? Like it's you you and I have talked about this before. We've talked about it off air. This is probably the first time we've really talked about this little conspiracy theory uh on on the show, but I'm with you, man. it just doesn't make sense to me really that for like you said, throughout Joe Douglas's short tenure as the Jets general manager, there have been zero leaks about anything that they were doing. So why is it now Zach Wilson is a foregone conclusion? And you and I have talked about this. I think that it's a little bit of posturing, trying to get, because the first thing that I said when I saw Zach Wilson's tape was this kid would be perfect in the Niners offense. And the first thing I said when we hired, when the Jets hired Robert Sala was the Jets are going to draft Zach Wilson, but the Niners then moved up to three. So if the, he's be perfect for, in the Shanahan offense, then who's to say that the Jets aren't, you know, doing a little bit of posturing here, trying to drive up the price on Zach Wilson and maybe getting the, the you know, the, the Niners to move up from three to two because it's not going to cost much. And if the Jets are higher on Justin Fields than they are on Zach Wilson, then then that would be the case. And as we heard before, Zach Wilson's family wants the 49ers anyway. Yeah, but let me ask you a question. What do the Niners have to move up from two to three? 
that would make it worth it for the Jets. Nick Bosa? They're going to trade two to three for Nick Bosa. I mean, stop. it wouldn't stop. really stop. make just sense, stop. right? Just, but just stop. <laughs> You're bugging. They're not trading Nick Bosa to the Jets to move up one slot. <laughs> What drugs are you on tonight? <laughs> it, was, it was the first thing that came to my mind. So, um, Like, I'm all for no, it. Yeah. Put, put Carl Lawson and Nick Bosa on the same defensive line with Quinnen. I'm all for it. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, nah, you're right. I mean, what would, they, what would it cost? I mean... You know, maybe they could get a linebacker out of it. Maybe they can get a, a you know a second round pick next year or something along those lines. Um, you know, don't know how many picks the Niners have left. But again, my point is, like we've been saying, there's never been a foregone conclusion. There's never never been anything that we knew for sure that Joe Douglas was going to do. So why would this be any different? Why would the number two pick in the draft be any different? No, I agree with you, and I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that the Jets are going to draft Zach Wilson at two. I just don't know if the Niners have enough firepower to make that make that work. Yeah, definitely true. Um, so you know, moving moving forward, Frank, we you know we obviously there's been a lot of attention on the number two pick in the draft. Uh, we have been trying to spend as much time on the. 23rd pick in the draft as we could because we you know we feel like no matter what it's going to be a quarterback and you know we could say Zach Wilson or Justin Fields but you and I are both on the same page in saying uh you know don't hear what we're not saying we we both love Zach Wilson I mean I'll speak for myself I personally love Zach Wilson as a prospect I just think Justin Fields is going to be a star and so that's where I come from with with that standpoint, I mean Zach Wilson is my number three quarterback in this draft class, so you know I'm I'm gonna if the Jets when the Jets if you know if the Jets potentially do draft Zach Wilson, I still will be happy with that decision. Oh, without a doubt, and I'm a huge fan of Zach Wilson, and I think he's going to be a Pro Bowl quarterback. But like you said, I feel like Justin Fields is going to be in that Deshaun Watson mold where. He's going to be able to do things that most quarterbacks can't. And he's going to bring that different dynamic to that Shanahan type of offense where you could run a little bit of RPO with him and open up lanes in the passing game because of it. Yeah, I mean, and this whole Zach, like Zach Wilson, Justin Fields thing is, has gone in a direction where, you know, you can't like both of them. You have to only like one of them, uh, which, you know, to me is kind of ridiculous. So, you know, I think both are phenomenal football players and you should be able to to like both accordingly. So, you know, all that being said, Frank, obviously, like like I said before, we've had a lot of attention on the 23rd pick. But today we want to focus on those, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth round picks, so on and so forth in the draft. So, uh, you know, let's just throw out a couple names, you know, talk about some guys here, Frank. Uh, and I'll start with with my first guy here because this is a guy that I really do love, uh, and I know you're even coming around. You're coming around on him as well, um, and that's Rondell Moore. Uh, I I don't think he makes it in the first round of the NFL draft just because he has had uh, some injury concerns, and so you know him being five seven, even though he is 180 pounds, so he's he's small. He's not he's not slender or skinny. Um, 
but being being you know being a little bit shorter, being uh, having had the injuries that he had in college, uh, I think that that does slide him out of the first round potentially. But if he's there for the Jets at thirty four, I think this is the a guy that they actually they absolutely have to pull the trigger on. I mean, talk about a guy. You know, he's got four three speed. Uh, he can get. Uh, he can. You know, be used as a weapon in the backfield, used in the slot on jet sweeps, things of that nature. But he also can get down the field. Uh, you can look at his freshman year at uh, at Purdue. Uh, this guy had 114 receptions for 1,200 yards. If you look at the Ohio State game, Sean Wade was one of the top corners in college football at that time, and he ate Sean Wade alive. So uh, I think he would fit perfectly into this. Uh, you know, Shanahan offense kind of fitting that, that Debo Samuel type role. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I kind of shitted on him uh, a couple weeks ago when we had the podcast, but I had a chance to watch some tape and I've come around, man, this dude is electric. And like you said, he fits that Debo Samuel role that the Shanahan offense runs and he would fit that to a T. But to me, I don't, I don't think he falls out of the first round. And for me, I think somebody that might fall out of the first round is Kadarius Toney out of Florida. And, again, Mm -hmm. another receiver that fits that Debo Samuel role. Uh, This dude is electric. His size, you know, he's 6 foot, 193 pounds. So he's, you know, not the tallest guy in the world. But uh, he fits that. Curtis Samuel role, who we were really hoping the Jets would sign in free agency. But uh, back to Kadarius Toney, he's highly effective in the packages that he was used in Florida. And when he's on the field, that you have to you have to feed him the ball. The defense has to account for him because his speed is so good. Yeah, Tony is. He's. You're right. He's absolutely electric. Uh, you know, my only issue with Tony is he, he only had that one year of, of production. Um, but I just recently found out that Tony was transitioning from from the quarterback position, actually. So he, he played quarterback in high school, uh, got to Florida as a quarterback, eventually moved to wide receiver. Um, so didn't really know that. So that kind of does change my perspective a little bit. In terms of the lack of production, just provide some context there. Uh oh, we got another um, Brad Smith on our hands. No, no, no Brad Smith here. Uh, you, you've got to, you've got to earn that. Um, <laughs> but so, <laughs> you know, so uh, while we're on the the wide receiver position, I'm, I actually am going to throw another guy out there. Somebody I think would could be available in the third round for the Jets, uh, and that's a that's Amari Rogers. Um, wide receiver from Clemson. Uh, he's actually been talked up as a potential running back prospect as well. Uh, you know, he's 5'9", 212 pounds. So he, he's very thick, uh, 4'5", 7", 33-inch verti- vertical jump. Um, but he was a, a productive slot receiver at the University of Clemson uh, with Trevor Lawrence. Um, but... Obviously had some reps, uh, you know, was using the screen game, had some reps in the backfield as well. Uh, and, you know, somebody that fits that, again, fits that Debo Samuel role uh, in the Shanahan offense very well. And I think, uh, you know, could provide some versatility there for the Jets in the third round. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm all over I'm all over him. 
But um, if the Jets aren't able to get those two receivers that we talked about earlier, I think at 34 that the Jets are going to target Creed Humphrey, the center out of Oklahoma. Uh, His numbers, like, at his pro day, don't really jump out at you. He ran a little over 540. He benched 29 reps. Uh, the knock on him is that he has he's small arms and he's non-athletic. But this dude is just a baller. Like he's been compared to Nick Mangold a lot because of his intelligence and how much he loves the game. Uh, and how he's the quarterback of that offensive line. Which I, I feel is so important for the Jets to get that calming presence on the offensive line. And also, he started 36 games straight for Oklahoma. So you don't have that injury history that sometimes you have with centers because of the position. Because you're banging heads with defensive tackles and middle linebackers all the time. Yeah, Creed Humphrey somebody that's gaining a lot of steam and a lot of traction right now as a you know potential first-round pick. But if he's able to, to fall to 34 for the New York Jets, I think that that would be a phenomenal pick for for them. Uh, they would slide Connor McGovern over to guard, and you know they would just you know roll with this thing. Uh, so I definitely like that. Uh, I'm sticking with offensive skill position players for this uh, this exercise. You know I feel like the the Jets are going to, to uh, address the offensive line positions early, and if not, Frank, I know you'll address them. So. You know why? Why not? Let's get let's get a little bit exciting here. So, speaking of exciting, I'm going to go to this running back prospect that I I really would like the Jets to target. I actually, um, you know, uh, think it was Connor Connor Hughes uh, of the Athletic had mentioned that the Jets were looking at this player, or it might have been uh, you know Nick from U Stadium. I think it was Nick from U Stadium. Now that I mention it, so um, Nick Spanos from U Stadium. He said that the Jets were looking into Michael Carter, and I absolutely love Michael Carter. He's the other running back from from North Carolina. Um, you know, this dude is he. You know, led the the uh, Tar Heels in scrimmage yards. Uh, he actually had four thousand scrimmage yards uh, over his last forty four games uh, in, in the University of North Carolina. Uh, Twenty eight total touchdowns. Uh, also had 82 receptions during that time. Um, you know, he gets labeled as a small back, but he's 5'8", 201 pounds, so uh, he's a little thick as well. Um, and you know, he doesn't. Rem- he does. I don't think he's as good as this player, but his skill set reminds me of this player. Uh, and that's Alvin Kamara in terms of the way that he's uh, he can be used as a receiver out of the backfield and some of his agility and his elusiveness. Uh, you know, I think if he gets with an offensive coordinator that can get him out in space, I think Michael Carter could be an absolute weapon in the NFL. Oh, without a doubt. I love Michael Carter. And if the Jets somehow could get him in, in the third or fourth round, that would be an absolute steal. But being that you don't like to talk about the big uglies, I got to give them some love. I had a former coach that used to say offensive linemen are the actual skill position players because they are the dancing bears of football teams. So I have... That's fair. Absolutely. I have a late round pick who's a developmental player that probably in year two could take over for either Connor McGovern or 
Alex Lewis if Alex Lewis is starting this year. And that is David Moore from Grambling State. Everybody keep an eye on him because this kid is going to be a Pro Bowl player down the line. He's 6'2", 320 pounds. He ran a 5-140, and he bench-pressed 225, 31 times. This kid is a straight mauler. Uh, the, the knock on him is obviously the competition, but I feel with offensive linemen, it doesn't matter as much. Uh, this guy plays like he's in a phone book. Kind of like um, the uh, tackle that we took in the first round this year, or last year, Rather, uh, Mackay, no, Mackay uh, Becton. Oh, Mackay Becton. Sorry, like where, first you said first. Right? Yeah, where he just wants just wants to hit guys nonstop, which I feel like you want that from your guard. Like he reminds me so much of Brandon Moore, where he just wants to get in your face and knock you down and remind you of who he is. But the knock on him is because he wants to be so aggressive. Sometimes he could be left lunging and whiffing on his target. So I think he needs to be coached up a little bit and work on control and balance with that with that six-inch punch that offensive linemen are taught to use. But I think he's athletic enough to f- fix those problems with uh, proper coaching. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I think that, you know, developmental offensive linemen, I think getting those guys in the fourth, fifth round and you're able to coach them up and, and kind of, you know, you know, have cheap depth on your on your offensive line. I think that's invaluable when you really look at team building. Um and, you know, for me, if you have a great offensive line, then these running backs uh that you that you draft in the later rounds, they can take advantage of that. So another guy I have on here uh in terms of a running back, that is Chubba Hubbard uh, Chuba Hubbard, Chuba Hubbard. Uh, not really sure how it's pronounced, but uh, the running back from Oklahoma State. Uh, you look at this guy, uh, almost four thousand yards, thirty nine hundred yards in thirty three games, thirty six college touchdowns to go along with fifty three receptions. This guy is six foot, two hundred ten pounds. Uh, ran a four five three adjusted forty yard dash. Uh, had a 36-inch vert. Uh, this guy just has so much speed in the open field, and he's a perfect fit for this wide zone scheme when you really look at uh, his home run ability and you look at the way that you know the Jets are going to be running this, 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 uh, this outside zone run scheme. And so I think to get a back like him in the fourth, fifth round, uh, I think that you know that would be phenomenal value here for the New York Jets. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, that would be great value. So, John, I was listening to uh, one of your podcasts when you were talking about the top five tight ends, and I was a little disappointed that you didn't have John Bates, the tight end out of Boise State, on there. He's one of my favorite late-round picks in there. He's not the fastest guy in the world. He doesn't have that Kyle Pitts athleticism, but what he does have is what I think the Jets are overall looking for in their skill position players are guys that block extremely well, especially that they're going to be running, as you said, this wide zone running scheme. John John Bates plays with great leverage. He fires off the line. He's aggressive when he's down blocking on defenders. He's really good at that pin-pull concept, and he's really good at sealing the edge 
by using his hands on the inside. He never gets called for holds. He has great footwork, exceptional lower drive to win at the point of attack. And what I think is really important is that he's going to be that traditional Y tight end, Y tight end, protecting against all those edge rushers in pass protection. Um, I don't know if he's going to be that that great at um, getting those fantasy yards at the beginning of his career, but I think as his career progresses, that he's going to be really good because his hands are ridiculous. He reminds me of like a Kyle Rudolph, that he's a reliable target. He, he finds those zones in the field. And he really is good at making those contested catches, especially on those that chip block and release type of uh, plays. That is where he excels. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't cover John Bates because you know, to be honest, he didn't stick out in terms of uh, college production. Uh, only five hundred seventy-nine receiving yards and, and two uh, reception, two touchdown receptions, and his his whole in four years uh, as a college tight end. Um, you know, he, he isn't really, you know, that great of an athlete either. Six five, two fifty, uh, four eight in the 40 yard dash. Uh, I mean, three cone is really nice, but vertical jump only 32 inches. So he's not very explosive. Um, you know, if he does prove himself as a blocker, uh, that could be promising because one of the things I always say is, uh, you know, I think you got to have guys in order for you to be productive in fantasy as a tight end, you should be able to be a good blocker because that gets you on the field and once you're on the field uh, your athleticism should take over John Bates does not have that athleticism that I so desire so I'm sorry but John Bates is going to have to prove it to me but I definitely like your your rationale here Um, for me here I'm going to go with a another running back this is going to be a a guy that I think could be available in the uh, potentially the fourth or fifth round but that is Running back Jamar Jefferson out of Oregon State. Uh, th- you know, we let's talk about a workhorse here over 3,000 yards from scrimmage, 27 games, 29 total touchdowns. Uh, this guy's six foot, 206 pounds. He's not a very explosive athlete, only 4'6 in the 40 yard dash uh, and a 31 inch vertical jump. But when you talk about a running back that just knows how to run, that knows how to operate your scheme, uh, that has good vision and good patience, that's Jamar Jefferson here. And he will run through your face. Uh, so that's also good to see. And this is a kind of guy that you could just hand the rock off to, to you know, 20, 20 to 25 times a game. And he's just pounding the defense in a submission. So definitely like uh, Jamar Jefferson as a potential fifth round pick and I think with his testing numbers uh being as you know being as uh showing some limited athleticism there I think that he you know that should make him you know available potentially even later in the draft oh absolutely he reminds me a little bit of a Lamont Jordan type for those Jet fans that remember Lamont Jordan yeah definitely I remember Lamont Jordan but I could see the definitely see the comp too all right, Frank, do you have anybody else uh, here that you think the Jets should target in later rounds? Uh, Wyatt Davis is another person that I w- I've been looking at, but he might go a little bit too early for the uh, Jets to take a flyer on him. You know, with the Jets having so many needs, you know, I could see them going defense in the third or fourth round also. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
I think that they definitely do address defense, uh, you know, between picks 23 and, you know, the, you know, 66, which they have in the third round. I think they also have 86 in the third round as well. So, um, you know, I definitely think that defense is going to get addressed once or twice. But honestly, I would, if the Jets used all of these picks on offense, <laughs> you know, except with the exception of one for one or two for a corner, uh, or for two corners, I would be completely content because when you look at this this offensive line, you look at um, you know the you know the way that the, you know I mean, you look at this defensive line. I'd rather uh, maybe they could use a linebacker, but see again, C.J. Mosley's coming back. Um, Robert Sala talked about that as well in his press conference. CJ, he's expecting C.J. Mosley to be there. Um, now, granted, a lot can happen between now and 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 September, but. Um, the expectation is that he'll, he'll be there, and that suddenly that you know shrinks the needs a little bit for the Jets at linebacker, and so um, you know you you would imagine that they're they're content with safety. So why not just use all these picks on the offensive side of the football? I'm with you. As the Jets defense stands right now, I think the Jets have the ability with the players that they have on the field, with all the people that they they signed in free agency and the players that they're bringing back. I think it could be a top 15 defense right now agreed agreed i mean i think you definitely would want them you'd feel a little bit more comfortable if they had another corner uh just because you know especially with the 17th game being added to the schedule injuries happen uh you know and so you're, you're gonna want depth that corner especially with the prevalence of these three and four wide receiver sets and so um you know definitely think that they they should add a corner or two if they can, um, and so, you know. I but like you said, I think you know, like we've been saying, I think going all offense with these picks would be would be the way to go. Oh, without a doubt. There's just so many holes on that offense right now, and how the Shanahan Lafleur offense runs. I think it's important to shore up that offensive line, get another receiver, and maybe get another running back in that that stable that they can use and. We're going to be off to the running, I think. Yeah, man, definitely. Uh, Frank, do you have any more late-round picks for the New York Jets? I am I'm out of guys, uh, but do you have any more guys for the Jets? I am at this moment out of guys, but I'm sure there will be guys that we want to talk about next week when the after the draft. Well, there's definitely going to be guys that we'll want to talk about next week after the draft. But some guys we definitely want to talk about now, as is a theme for us, uh, Frank is a bit of a New York Jets historian, so he likes to take it back. So we're going to cover uh, some some of our favorite late-round picks of the New York Jets. And so uh, I know Frank is going to take it back to some some of the, the higher, um, you know, the higher-profile guys. For me personally, I'll, I will start with a guy that, you know, we it's a it's like a little bit of a running joke for us here on the podcast. Um, but Brad Smith oh is God. one of my favorite players. <laughs> like I, feel he's like one of my favorite players. You, I, John, I feel like any chance you have to plug Brad Smith, whether it be off air, on air, while we're officiating football games. Like you just love talking about Brad Smith. Well, I mean, you who doesn't like talking about the first quarterback to throw for eight thousand and and run for four thousand in FBS college football history? Definitely not you. 
<laughs> no, Brad Smith, he's definitely, uh, he's just one of my favorite favorite players. I mean, if you know anything about me, Frank, you'll know this about me. I just love guys that are football players. Uh, I love guys that can do multiple things. Like you said, we officiate, uh, you know, we officiate high school football. And so seeing guys just even in high school that are able to play multiple positions and do multiple things, that excites me. So to see guys do it at an NFL level, I think that's super exciting. Um, You know, you talk again, you talk about a guy like Brad Smith, you know, had 8,000, oh, you know, over 8,000 yards passing in college, 4,000 yards rushing. Uh, Lamar Jackson came and smashed that, but we're not talking about him right now. We're talking about Brad Smith. Uh, Brad Smith was drafted uh, by the New York Jets in the fourth round, 130, 103rd overall. When he was drafted, he was drafted as a quarterback, uh, but he, you know, he played a little bit of emergency quarterback for the Jets his rookie year. Um, but he also played wide receiver as well as was a, a uh, you know, a, a dynamite special teams player for the New York Jets. Uh, and so Brad Smith, he developed into a rotational player on the offense, uh, but was a special teams player, uh, one of the best special teams players in the league. Uh, in 2010, he led the NFL in uh, kick return average uh, for all qualifying uh, NFL kick returners at 28.6 yards of return, had over 1,400 yards returning on fi- uh, on 50 returns, also had two touchdowns. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people remember this, but um, in 2009, 2010, uh, on two separate occasions, the Jets were in a funk. Uh, they needed to win their next game in order to potentially uh, make the playoffs. The first year was 2009. They're playing a game against Cincinnati, and Brad Smith scores two touchdowns that year, or that in that game, uh, one on a a, uh, a kickoff return and one on an end around where he actually lost his shoe, uh, and they end up beating Cincinnati uh, and getting into the playoffs where they beat Cincinnati the very next week. And the other occasion was in 2010 when they hadn't scored a touchdown, an offensive touchdown for like six quarters or whatever it was, uh, and they go out to Pittsburgh, and Brad Smith takes the opening kickoff return for a touchdown, uh, giving them a 7 nothing lead, and they end up winning that game after having lost, uh, I think it was three straight, uh, and they end up getting into the playoffs, and obviously we know that they end up beating New England, but they lose to the, the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, in the AFC Championship game. But Brad Smith, definitely one of my all-time favorites. Yeah, he... He was a great player for for what he was for the New York Jets. But for me, I'm going to go on the defensive side of the ball here and probably the best defensive lineman the Jets have ever had. He anchored the best defensive line the Jets ever had, the New York Sack Exchange. We're going to go with no one other than Mark Gastineau. In his career with the Jets, he had 74 total sacks. In 1984, he broke the the sack record with 22 that, and that stood until Mark, uh, not Mark, um, Michael Strahan broke it on that Fugazi sack on Brett Favre. Mark was drafted in the second round, and in 1983 he had 19 sacks. 1984 he had 22. 1985 he had 13 and a half. This guy was before his prime. Uh, before his time, the the way he played with his hair on fire, he was just 
phenomenal. I never got the chance to actually see him play because he uh, the last year that he did play was the year that I was born, which was 1988. But from talking to my father, talking to older Jet fans, they just said that the way that this guy played was phenomenal. And that defense is what made that team a perennial postseason team. It was just incredible. I, I Hopefully we could get back to that very soon. Yeah, definitely hope to get back to that soon. I mean, Mark Gasno, he was definitely one of the all-time great New York Jets players. Uh, I don't know. I Like you said, you never watched him play. I never, likewise, I never got to see him play either. Um, but I definitely know the, the caliber of player that he was as evidenced by uh, him breaking that sack record, which was ultimately broken by Michael Strahan. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm sticking with uh, fourth round, uh, fourth round New York Jets players. Uh, and so for me, I, I'm going to go with uh, wide receiver. Uh, Jericho Cotter was drafted in the 2004 NFL draft in the fourth round, 108th overall out of North Carolina State was a high, uh, college teammate of Philip Rivers um, during his career with the New York Jets, had 4,500 receiving yards, 358 receptions, had uh, 18 receiving touchdowns, uh, you know, caught 61% of his passes on, on 12.6 yard, uh, yards per reception. He was never a, a, he was never an electric player. Uh, he was never a... Um, a dynamic player, but he was just always very solid. He was always very steady. You always knew you were, what you were going to get. I remember in 2009, um, you know, when the Jets needed a first down, it was coming from Jericho Cotri. 2009, 2010, when they needed a first down, uh, it was usually going to come from him. He was their slot receiver, especially 2010 when it was Santonio Holmes, uh, Braylon Edwards, and Jericho Cotri was, was working the slot. Uh, he was such a weapon. Uh, one of the things, one of the moments I think about whenever someone talks about Jericho Cotri, or if I ever think about Jericho Cotri, uh, was the moment in, in Cleveland, um, you know, when it was a critical uh, third down. Uh, Mark Sanchez breaks out of a sack, um, is able to find Jericho Cotri, who during the play had injured his groin and is basically hopping around on one leg, uh, and Sanchez throws, uh, you know, a pass, you know, kind of away from a defender, uh, but, you know, low into the ground, and Jericho Cotri goes from hopping on one leg to diving on the floor for this catch, and, you know, makes the catch, which gives the Jets a first down, um, you know, which they ended ended up uh, getting in, into, I think it was field goal or score, basically scoring position to basically bring the game to overtime where they ultimately won. But uh, Jericho Cotri ended up being injured for basically, um, you know, a good chunk of the season that year on that play. But the toughness that he showed in that moment to, to you know, go all out and, and give all his effort, even though he had suffered a serious injury during the play, uh, you know, that's that's major toughness that any fan would appreciate. Oh, without a doubt, he he was a straight baller. He really was. He was one of my favorites to watch behind um, Wayne Corbett. And the next guy that I'm going to talk about, and 
That would be Lavernius Coles, who the Jets drafted in the third round of the 2000 draft. Um, it took him a, about a year to get on, but once he once he started figuring out and playing with Chad Pennington uh, in 2002, he had 1,200 yards. 2001, he had 1,200 yards. Uh, then Washington signed him to that contract offer as a restricted free agent, which was a poison pill for the Jets. Uh, but they actually traded back for him in 2005. Uh, they traded away Santana Moss to bring him back, and he had 845 yards that year. And then the following year in 2006, uh, when they won that wild card game against Indianapolis, where they won 42 to nothing. Uh, he had over a thousand yards receiving. This guy was the epitome of toughness. Teaming him with Wayne Corbett, it was just fun to watch those teams play and how they played the game of football. Like those teams that Herman Edwards was coaching were just such fun and good times for us Jet fans. That I'm going to speak for both of us when I say that. I feel like we're going to get back to really, really quickly. Yeah, definitely think that the Jets are going to get back to playing good football very soon, um, you know, under the tutelage of Robert Sala. So definitely excited about that. Frank, do you have anybody else here for us before we wrap this up? Oh, there's so many other guys that we could talk about, but I think we'll we'll save those for future podcasts. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to get too too in depth, but one guy I will bring up um, just because he he did have a really good um, start to his career with the Jets. That was Kerry Rhodes. Uh, they got him. Uh, I think it was yeah the four, they got him in the fourth round as well. The Jets did really well in the fourth round of the NFL draft. Um, but Kerry Rhodes was for a while he was one of the best free safeties in the league. Oh no doubt, no doubt. He just wasn't a Rex Ryan guy. Nope. It was not a Rex Ryan guy, uh, so that was a little bit, a little bit weird. Um, you know, definitely was a Eric Mangini guy. Uh, just him and Rex Ryan uh, just couldn't get along. So, which is kind of weird, right? You you can get along with with Eric Mangini, but you can't get along with Rex Ryan. That's kind of, that's kind of odd. <laughs> sure is. All right, man, so that is all we got uh, for this evening. But next week, we are going to be covering the Jets draft and reacting to everything that they've done uh, from the quarterback decision, whether it does end up being Zach Wilson or do they go in another direction like uh, we like we've been hoping that they potentially would. Um, you know, what's going on with the, all these uh, – you know, with these, you know, pick at 23, 34, 66, 86. Uh, we're excited to break it all down next week. So uh, don't make sure you don't miss out on that. Um, but as always, y'all, thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to find us, you can always find me at JR Football Nerd. You can always find Frank at Frankie. Uh, bots b-o-t-z and you can find the podcast at liftoff underscore n-y-j and everybody thank you for listening have a good one and we're out of here thanks everybody tell your friends tell your friends